Well, we've been talking about elect exiles. I think that's the slide right before, right? From 1 Peter, we are chosen by God to walk against the flow of the world as exiles on our way to the new heaven and the new earth. Today, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And I'd like you to open your own Bible as we read this and have somewhere to take notes, please, because the Lord is going to speak to you this morning. I don't want you to lose the seed to all the birds of the devil. They're already flying around your head, hoping to distract you and steal that seed so that it doesn't grow in your heart. Um, Peter has been encouraging the elect exiles or royal priesthood or holy nation, however you like to think about that, to submit to governors, authorities, and even harsh masters, harsh, harsh slave masters, in reverence for our Lord, the suffering servant. I think it's interesting before we begin that Peter, we know that Peter was a married man. He had a mother-in-law. He likely lived with that mother-in-law. He knows what family life is like. And he can speak from experience in a way that perhaps the Apostle Paul couldn't because Paul never did marry as far as we know. He continues the theme of the culture of the contramont. That's how I like to think about it. The culture that is countercultural. If you're going against the flow as a follower of Christ, you're probably going in the right direction. And it's specifically through submission. Submission. Let's read. And I'll be reading from the ESV. And I'd like you to read these verses. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, now we have to stop for a second because likewise points back to chapter 2. And it's saying like the, sl the slave and his master, which is like Jesus, who was insulted and did not insult in return, who suffered unjustly without complaint. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. You know, I'm so glad I don't make this stuff up, right? This is not my words. This is God's words to you wives and then later to us husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, like Jesus, you husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Turn back to chapter 2 for a second and let's read verses 21 to 23 because I believe this is the key to understanding this whole section of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23. For to this you, exiles, elect exiles, have been called because Christ also suffered for you. He's called the suffering servant. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Last week we talked about four words to help us remember this attitude. Conscious, submit, suffer, commit. So consciousness of God helps you submit to the authority God's placed over you. He's sovereign. He put that authority there. So you submit because you're conscious to God, and you will suffer for that. And you're to suffer quietly as Christ did. Now let me stop here and say, as a church, we are called to give a voice to the voiceless. We are called to defend widows and orphans and refugees and the small people of the world. So we're not preaching here. I'm not saying that the Bible teaches us to just let women be battered by ugly husbands. That's not true. We step in. We defend each other. It is saying that our purpose is to become more and more and more like Jesus. Conscious of God, we submit to the authority. We suffer quietly as Christ did, and commit, keep on committing, continually commit our way to the one who judges fairly, knowing that God is in charge. I think it's important to remember that Peter says this pleases God. It's pleasing to God if you're willing to zip your trap, that's how we say shut your mouth, not complain, not yell for your rights, but say, Jesus, you did this, and I know you're in me, and so I'm going to follow you in this difficult situation and not defend myself. Why? Not because I want to. Not because anybody deserves this. But because I want to be like Jesus. I want the world to know Jesus because of my attitude that I'm conscious of God, and I commit my way to him, and therefore I obey what he says, not what the world around me says. As I meditated on how to say this this morning, I thought I am not able I'm not sufficient. I need help. And of course, I immediately thought of the helper God gave me, this beautiful lady right here. So Susanna, please come up. Susanna and I are about to celebrate 35 years of marriage, uh, December. So Susanna, you get to start because Peter talks to the wives first. I get to go first. Is this on? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Submission. I don't know how you feel about that word, but I didn't like that word as a young woman. I thought it was kind of a dirty word. Um, and we uh, were at an engagement party, just having gotten engaged. I was 21. My, my Aunt Barbara's house. This is in Richmond, Virginia. The whole extended family around could ask us any question they wanted. Uh, how many children are you going to have? What are their names? They were terribly unfair questions. We had no idea how to respond. And his father's question to me was, what do you think about submission? I said, I don't like that word. <laughs> I was very honest. 
well, my, mo my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, and two of Thomas's aunts. We have aunts in our family and aunts. Aunts are from the north, aunts are from the south. <clears throat> Cornered me in the kitchen as they made turkey gravy, giblet gravy, wonderful stuff. And said, uh, hey, we want you to know that if the man is doing his part, like Jesus, sacrificially loving, then it's a joy to submit. And I listened to them and thought, wow, that's revolutionary. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, so that became the beginning of my education in what I believe God is wanting us to, to learn here. Um, submission is not subjugation. Submission is a choice. Submission is a way to say, instead of defending myself and speaking out for my rights, I'm going to showcase the drama of Jesus in the gospel. I'm going to wait and trust in him. I'm going to let someone else lead me instead of thinking I know better. It helped me as a young woman, really, to think that the help meet was smarter than the one help that they were helping after all. Didn't take her long to learn that. <laughs> after all, though, oh, I, I need to go back. When they talked about the joy of submitting to a sacrificial husband, I have to say that I have had it easy. I have had a very sacrificial husband. Oh, that's so nice. Um, <laughs> Not always, I'll tell you. <laughs> but, so the best case scenario is yes, it is a joy. The worst case scenario, where the husband is disobedient, unfaithful, bullying, drunk, or whatever, these, uh, uh, then is it a joy? I think about Christ's words, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Um, I have known, as some of you probably too, women who have stuck out terribly difficult situations. Um, women who continue to hope and pray as their husbands are unfaithful and disobedient to the Lord. One time we were visiting a missionary couple and we knew there was an adulterous affair going on. We walked into her kitchen where she was preparing dinner for us and her family. And one of her kids had put a butterfly in a glass dish with saran wrap over. And this butterfly was banging around in that glass dish with that Remember that cellophane? That's become this picture of so many women who are in abusive relationships. And they're, they're, in, they're as beautiful as ever. And they're waiting for the day they'll be released and free. But they're banging around in that relationship. It was, it was a, a picture of that. Mm -hmm. And I've known women who, because they have stuck it out in faith, in hope, in trusting, the Lord, that the Lord has heard their prayers and their husbands have come back to the Lord and to them and to their families, and it is such a beautiful thing. Now, don't think that I'm saying this is what you must do or what every woman must do. They need to hear that from the Lord. Um, but the fact is, this isn't about justice. This passage isn't about um, a husband who deserves respect. It's about the Holy Spirit giving what the woman needs in order to show respect because it's the Lord who deserves it in the end. Um, the next point here is 
respectful in conduct. I think we were going to talk about be subject being reflexive, and you mentioned yes. that quickly, yeah. but it's subject yourself. Wives, subject yourselves to your husband as your authority. Husbands, this is not for you. Your job is not to remind your wife how submissive she's supposed to be. Pray that she'll hear that from the Lord and be the godly husband that gives joy to the wife in submitting. That's our job. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier with a, a sacrificial husband and a husband who is patient and understanding, right? So being respectful in conduct, um, like I said, uh, so often if we know the sin of another, we say, well, that person isn't deserving of our respect. It's so easy for a student to say that about a teacher. Well, he's not deserving of my respect. But the fact is that your showing respect shows your submission to the Lord, first of all. Um, I, re I can remember as a young woman debating with an older man, and I knew I was right in this uh, little debate we had, uh, and I was not very respectful in the way that I was debating with him. <clears throat> and his wife came to me later and said, he thinks that you think he's pretty dumb. And I was horrified. Oh, that's true. He could pick up on that. Uh, and then she said, and what if he is? For a wife to say about her husband, first of all, was a little shocking, but then I realized it was really a lesson to me. Can I show respect because uh, that is what I need to do to an older man, even in a debate where I might feel right? And I can remember seeing a sign over a doorway once, it is better to be loving than to be right. And I think the same is true about respect, pure in conversation, how we speak about each other super important. Um, it's a proof of, of grace in us if we can be pure in conversation. So the, that, that, this is a splitting up of the phrase in verse 2. Mm -hmm. If you look at verse 2, in the ESV it says, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Well, the word conduct is translated conversation. I think in the King James Version, I looked at this in several versions, that word can be translated conduct or conversation in, in your life, in both doing and speaking. So we decided to, to put respect with conduct, respectful conduct, and pure with conversation. And that's how you show the presence of Christ, not just for wives, for all of us, Christ-like conduct and conversation. I... I I love it when I see people sticking up for others, don't you? And when, they, um, when people speak out for the downtrodden, for those who've been abused or mistreated. Um, but when they stick up for themselves and defend themselves, they're not quite as attractive anymore, or if they're speaking all the time about themselves. So in speaking, being pure in conversation, I think this also, are we defending ourselves? Are we quick to run to our own defense, or are we defending others and keeping quiet because in the end we trust in the Lord to um, defend us. And we have made, I've talked about this before, but we've made the commitment with our children to defend each other to our children. So if, if one of our children is disrespecting Susanna, her job is to model Christ and teach her child but not defend herself to the best of her ability. And my job is to step in and say, wait a minute, that's not how you treat your mother. So I'm teaching them that respect and she's teaching by example that we also can suffer quietly in Christ's stead. So on it goes to talk about beauty. Um, women love beauty. 
And I think this so is... So do men, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, women are beautiful, right? <laughs> we were the last, after all, to be created, and it got better and better. And so we're the <laughs> pinnacle of creation. We were just the practice session. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we like to invest in beauty, exercise, diet, fashion, makeup. But what, in the end, is the eternal, unfading, imperishable, imperishable beauty is the beauty of the heart that the Lord sees. And that is a gentle and quiet spirit, which in our culture is not valued at all. Um, this goes back to defending ourselves or others. Are we going to speak up in our own defense? Be loud-mouthed about what we believe? Oh, it's so easy for me to do that. Or are we going to trust that the Lord knows our cause. Um, when I think about aging, I think about the women I want to be like who are older, and I'm hoping that my smile wrinkles are deeper than my frown wrinkles. I'm hoping that just as those deepen, so does the gentleness and meekness uh, in me. And how do I do that? How do I become beautiful in that way? Is the confidence in the Lord that these women of old had so that confidence comes through spending time making his word mine, making it a love letter, making it preaching to myself, journaling. I have to spend time journaling what the Lord is saying to me. Um, those are the eternal, unfading marks of beauty that will, we will never repent we invested in. Can I just say that that un unseen beauty becomes more and more visible as you age with grace in the Lord. I just love Susanna's wrinkles around her eyes because it reminds me of all the times she's laughed. So that unseen beauty of the heart starts to come out the longer you live with the Lord in his grace. Um, I'm thinking of the women of old and how they were ready when the crisis came. Um, Esther is such a wonderful example of waiting, right? She called her uncle, the whole nation to pray, and she bided her time, went before the king, but first to ask for a banquet. At the banquet, he said, what can I do for you? She said, come tomorrow to another banquet. She was a wise woman. She knew that food was the key, right? <laughs> Quickest way to a man's heart. <laughs> and at the second banquet, finally, she revealed uh, what was going on and the king was on her side, so she waited. Esther is an incredible example. Uh, so is Abigail, who had a foolish husband, who wasn't gonna feed the army of David, even though they had been protecting his, all his flocks and properties. Abigail found a way to go around her foolish husband and do the right thing by sending all kinds of raisin cakes, again, food. Um, but the Lord upheld her cause struck her husband down dead, and suddenly she becomes David's wife. So Sarah, Hannah, these are amazing uh, examples for us. Hannah, who prayed before the Lord and was praying so much, so silently, and probably rocking back and forth in the temple that the priest thought that she was drunk. And he heard her prayer and added his own prayer to bless her with children, and the Lord heard her. And she dedicated those children to the Lord, and that was Samuel, um, who was a godly priest. Um, Sarah, we are to be called daughters of Sarah if we hope in God and do good and do not fear. These last couple of points. 
And Sarah's example is incredible because Sarah agreed out of kindness to her husband Abraham to call him her brother so that he wouldn't be killed off since she was so beautiful that the foreign king wanted her for his harem. So this is something we learned as we studied this, or I learned. Susanna taught me that it wasn't Sarah's fear, it was Abraham's fear. The husband was a scaredy cat, right? He says, I'm afraid of losing my head. Please call me your brother so the king doesn't kill me. And she submitted because she was aware of God's ability to protect her. And the Bible says she wasn't afraid. She was the courageous one. So she gets taken into a foreign harem twice, and both times the Lord delivers her before she is ever touched. Uh, it's amazing how the Lord revealed himself to foreign kings on behalf of Sarah. And I think probably to Abraham too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So in the end, Sarah could call him Lord, it says. That's a, a minisculo, lowercase l, Lord, like Señor out of respect and obedience because she knew her uppercase L Lord, big S Senor, would be the one to deliver her, to defend her, to protect her, to care for her even when her husband couldn't. And it's the same for all of us no matter what our situation. The only way we can show honor and love whether or not our husbands deserve it or not, is because we know the Lord. And trusting and putting our hope and faith in Him is like putting, seeing the big bear behind the little bear. I will honor and love and respect this man, even if he doesn't have all the smarts, because God does, and God can deliver me. Um, that preaches the gospel through our marriage, and we have this incredible opportunity. So many times women say, all of us, right? We want to serve the Lord by doing something great. We have this opportunity right in our homes every day to outdo each other with honor and to proclaim the gospel with our relationships. I've really seen this in your life, Susanna, and uh, just how much information Susanna has that I need that I don't get. I don't have the same antenna she has, and she picks stuff up all the time. And I've learned over 35 years that I need to pay attention and listen. When we were on our way to Brazil, we were not coming to Sao Paulo, we're not working with ABBA, it was another organization. We, I came to Brazil first without her, which I've learned I probably shouldn't do, and thought it was a great place to work. I went back and said, hey, this is it, we, want, we need to join this organization. So we flew all the way to California from Florida, long flight, to meet with the board for a whole weekend. Uh, and said, yes, 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 we're going to Brazil. We want to work with you. We got on the plane to come back to Florida, and Susanna broke down in tears. And I'm looking at her like, what's up? She said, I know this is going to be really hard to work with this organization. I didn't know that. I said, okay, so what do we do? We just said, yes. Do we back out? Do we not go? And she thought for a minute, and I think the Lord revealed this to her. No. We need to go, because the Lord promises to keep our feet from stumbling. We're moving in that direction, let's go. I just know it's gonna be really hard. We still say that 1995 was the hardest year of our lives. She was right, it was really hard. She knew that, I didn't. And yet, she submitted to the Lord and submitted to her dumb husband out of reverence for the Lord, and he's blessed us. 
I think it was right for us to come. It was hard that first year. But I've learned that Jesus lives in my life. And he reveals things to her that I really need. So I listen a little bit better today than I did in 1995. I hope. Do I? <laughs> I also talk too much. <laughs> you want to talk about mom? Oh, yes. This is my mother-in-law, Betsy, who taught me so much. The one that cornered me in the kitchen. There's Tommy to the left, my husband. Another brother, Jonathan, to the right. Sweet Dania, who had cerebral palsy and couldn't walk for her first year of life or longer until she had many surgeries in Tommy's lap. And then she thought, okay, I'm on the mission field. I have three kids. My life is very full. We're done. But her husband said, oh, please, one more. And she had triplets <laughs> and doubled the family a year after Dania. So we are six kids within five years of age. This lady was full of grace, let me tell you. She lived a difficult life at times, um, but she stuck it out in faith in God and taught me incredibly uh, what I needed to know for marriage and for life. All right, men, here we go. We only get one verse. That's probably because our capacity is a little bit less. <laughs> but I found six teaching points in this one verse. And these are for us. First of all, Peter says, live with your wives. Live with your wives. This is the first step of Christ's likeness. Incarnate yourself in your wife's life. The guy we're going to visit on Saturday, Josue, impresses me all the time with the fact that he and his wife are always together. When they come to our house to drop something off, just running an errand, they're in the car together. When they go to the bank, they go to the bank and they have a conversation while they wait in the line. They're just always being together. My friend Ben in India, one of the action leaders in India, taught me, go to bed at the time your wife goes to bed. Don't stay up all night doing work. If you have lots of work, get up at 4 a.m. and do the work. But go to bed at the same time your wife goes to bed. That was a little hard for me to sack because she needed to go to bed sooner and sometimes I had more work to do. But I learned, live with your wife. Come alongside her. Incarnate yourself in her schedule. Go at her pace. And I've learned that sometimes when I'm all ready to go and I'm impatient for her to get in the car because she's inside gathering all those things that go in her purse. And then I get there wherever we're going and say, hey, did you bring some hand sanitizer? And she said, yep, here it is. Did you bring any Kleenex? Yep, here it is. Did you remember my reading glasses? Uh-huh. <laughs> live with your wife. Be patient. Go at her pace and come alongside. Walk in step with each other. But live with your wife in an understanding way. Basically, understand her. Get to know how this complex person that you live with works and thinks and feels and acts. It took me a long time as a man to, to get a little bit of the sense of insecurity that you women have. I was just... Dull, dull to that. And I, I've learned over the years that I need to lock the doors. I need to protect my wife's vulnerability, understand her feelings in that way, because they're true, they're real, and they're legitimate. Uh, a cartoon that I saw once tells this story pretty well. So when guys say hi, they're thinking, hi. <laughs> right? You've seen that little YouTube video about the empty box? Like we have a box inside, it's just empty. There's no, there's nothing, no, 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 no,
It's like they're thinking all this stuff, right? Am I too close? Am I too far? Is this too formal? What did she get those shoes? What did she do to her hair? It's like you guys just pick up all this information, this peripheral stuff. I go play basketball sometimes, and Susanna says, so how was your time with your guy friends? Well, you had a great time. What'd you talk about? Nothing. <laughs> we just played basketball. It's a good shot. See you next week. Right? That's why Peter doesn't say, wives, understand your husbands. We're pretty easy to understand. But wives are complex for a purpose. Men, don't just think about your own stuff. There's not that much to think about. Think about your wife. Study your wife. It takes a lifetime, believe me. Understand your wife. And it will help you be the head of your family, be a servant leader, care uh, uh, empathetically for this help meet that God has given you. Third thing, honor your wife. What a powerful word. Honor your wife as the weaker vessel, ESV says. I like to think of that word weaker as more like fragile, delicate, sensitive. And here's the picture God has given me in our marriage, which has been through rough waters many times. Um, I'm like the prow of the ship of the family. You know, the, the front, the big piece of wood or metal that's on the front of a ship that's for breaking the waves. And inside of that ship, there's some navigational instruments that are very delicate and sensitive and should not get wet or have strong bumps. And so if I can protect Susanna from some of those bumps along the way or from getting wet, I can probably take it a little better. Just a practical example. Sometimes I'm driving home listening to the news. Susanna doesn't really hardly listen to the news. So I get to be the, the phone right? The the. the, the the one where she hears a story, an important story in the news. But sometimes, a lot of times actually, the stories in the news are really violent. They're really, they're not good stories. And they're not important a lot of times. The news just tells the story to sell the news, right? But they're juicy. They're fun to say. And I've learned that I need to protect Susanna as she cares for our family and makes dinner. Not to say those stories. Just swallow it. Because that's not honoring my wife as the more delicate, fragile, sensitive instrument, she may not know what to do with that bloody story, and it's not important for her to know. So it's a way that I can absorb that bump and protect Suzanne. Just one practical example. Think of your wife, wife, husband, as a compass or maybe a radio communication with God. She's going to get messages that you're not getting. And you need that. So protect her. Listen to her. Understand her. Understanding starts with listening. Be quiet. Ask questions. Dig deep. And here, you'll probably get a lot of information that you need in order to do your job in the marriage. Honor your wife as a vessel of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, as the weaker vessel. Vessel is a container. And weaker means you're both vessels. We're vessels of the Holy Spirit. And so together, you form a complete vessel. That word help, helper, suitable for him, does not mean just a volunteer, somebody that you can use in case you need it. It means the completion. It means a crucial part of a whole. 
So you're being completed by this vessel of the Holy Spirit that gives you an ingredient for the whole recipe of your family that without, without which it would not be the same. Receive Jesus by receiving your wife in your life, in your conversations, and honor her as a vessel of the Spirit. Then Peter says, honor her as a co-heir, fellow heir with you of the gracious gift of life. And I believe he's not talking just about human life, about breathing and your heart beating. He's talking about eternal, indestructible, long-term life by grace. She has received that gift. And by the way, so have you. You have not you don't have anything that you have not received from God. You're an heir. You were born into this. And so was she. So don't think of yourselves any higher than your wife. Just the fact that you're the head and she's to subject herself should actually humble you. Put your knees on the floor and say, Lord, help me. How am I going to do this job and be Christ-like in it? So seeing yourself as a co-heir puts you on the same level. You're a son and daughter of the king. She's going to subject herself to you. And so you better listen to her and listen to God in order to lead Christ -like, a Christ-like life together. And then finally, so that it does not hinder your prayers. And that's the way Peter says this will hinder your prayers. If you are not at peace, if you are not honoring and understanding and living with your wife as a godly husband, God will not listen to you in the same way he would if you were Christ-like in your marriage. Do you want God to listen to your prayers about your business, about your health, about everything? Then honor your wife. Be Christ-like in your laying down of your rights. That's what Paul says, right? Like Christ, love the church, give your life to her. Who gave first, the church or Jesus? Christ did. While we were yet sinners, undeserving of his love, he made us worthy by placing his value. One way to translate this word honor is to value your wife, which is actually set the value. You get to set the value of your wife by valuing her highly. By saying, wow, you are so crucial to my life. I would not be who I am without living with you, without the blessing of having you with me. So honoring means valuing, and that means praying for her. Praying for her, not just with her, not just for yourself, but praying for your wife. Husbands, let me challenge you. Pray as a priestly prayer over your wife, over your children, every single day. Fast and pray if there's a need. For your wife, the Lord listens to those prayers as we honor, understand, and lovingly live together with our wives. How do we interpret these things? As we're moving toward the end, I think you single people who aren't married, there's real, real lessons to be learned from this, just as there are to Peter's words too servants, masters, and slaves. We can apply the principles to our lives even though we're not a master or a slave. So first of all, there are two models for a godly marriage. Peter gives us two, two things to look at and copy in our marriages. First is Jesus. When he says likewise or in the same way, he's talking about Jesus' attitude before Pilate, Roman soldiers on the cross when he was insulted and he did not return insult. Wives, that's your model. Husbands, that's your model. Suffering quietly because you're conscious of God and his justice 
is the way we live together. And then the holy women of old, holy women who knew how to submit, holy women who were aware of God, like Abigail and Hannah and Esther and Sarah and others and men. There are many examples of godly husbands. Maybe Abraham's a negative example <laughs> for us. They are our examples. And it's primarily through honoring God, fearing God, and submitting to authority. And then there are two motives that Peter gives us. To win those who do not obey or believe the word by our example, right? Godly conduct and conversation. It's for our own preaching of the gospel. And let me tell you today, more than ever before, this is noticed. Why do you do, why are you like that? Why don't you stand up for your rights? I know some of you women here are hearing from your friends, just leave him. Just leave him. That's the time for you to say, but I follow the suffering servant. He lives in me and I want his character. I want the world to know him because of how I live. I don't live like everybody else or by my rights or desires. I live for him. And the second way is so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this goes for wives, husbands, and those who aren't married. As you submit in a Christ-like way, as Jesus is formed in you, God the Father looks at you and says, wow, I see my son in you. And when you pray, he, take, he takes notice. He pays attention because Christ is being formed in you. Let's apply this. Number one, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. And there are three ways to do that. He's in three places every second. He's seated at the right hand of God, victorious over all evil, the final authority and judge. Fix your eyes on him there. He's suffering on the cross, right? Silently taking unjust results of our sin. Fix your eyes on him there as you're suffering unjustly. And remember Christ's attitude on the cross. And then finally, in your own heart through his spirit. See, it's not what would Jesus do. Remember the WWJD bracelets and all that whole campaign? That's a little bit too distant because Jesus is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. His spirit lives in you and you are to be, coming, to be becoming more and more like him. And so we can fix our eyes on him in our own souls. And I've watched this woman do that. Say, Lord, I will obey you. I will be beautiful in the way you want beauty. I will be like you in this situation. I wanted to just add one more thing about justice and yeah. vindication. Remembering there will be justice. And that's part of the trust in God. He will have vindication. It says, vengeance is mine. We read Psalms 94 at breakfast this morning before we came to church. Wow. God is the, the vengeance taker. And he's coming, right? So when you believe that, you don't take vengeance for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that it's much better to leave it in his hands. Yeah, right. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow Jesus. So it's not just looking at him and knowing him, but it's becoming like him. Do what he's doing. Say, Lord, show me what you're doing in this situation. We've seen some of you couples do that in very specific ways. And then finally, prayerfully make Jesus known by developing unfading inner beauty. Be beautiful in the way God wants you to be beautiful. You unmarried people, both men and women, develop this kind of beauty.
it will start leaking out of your gaps all over the place. Your wrinkles will be different if you develop that quiet, gentle, trusting heart before the Lord always. And, and he will be pleased and he will hear your prayers and people will know him better because you become like him. This is my my nafe, my Klemilda. She was a, a young Baiana, Buerarema, Bahia, and fell in love with a non-Christian man who became a drunk. They had five children together, and she tells me that when they were young and they'd come home from church on Sunday night and their father, husband, had been out drinking, they would lock themselves in the laundry room, an external laundry room, until he came home and yelled and banged and tried to get in the door and fell asleep. And when he finally fell asleep, she would take her children and put them each in bed and pray for their daddy to receive Jesus. Well, he finally did. My friend, Jaimundo, I drove a combi all the way to Ilios with him, full of street kids at one time. They came and worked with Abba. They adopted 10 kids from Abba that didn't have families to go home to, the ministry that we worked with. And she became my mother uh, when my own mom went to heaven in 1997. Uh, she, I adopted her as my mom. Um, and she's helped me so much in so many ways. In fact, I want to play her message. This is just this morning because I, I asked her to pray for us. But she prays for me every single day. And I thought maybe you would like to just hear. Uh, one of the reasons why the Lord has blessed Susanna's in my ministry is because of women like this. Bom dia, minha filha. Que Deus capacite cada dia mais. Espírito Santo, fale diretamente contigo. Te encha do poder de Deus. Um abraço bem gostoso. Continuamos em oração. Estamos juntos, juntos, juntos para sempre. Um abraço. Lembra-se, Suzana. Eu só quero adicionar aqui. Quando ela tinha uma chácara outside da cidade, ela estava all these kids without a washing machine. And it was Mary Fawcett that bought her yeah. a washing yeah, machine. Right, right, and it just right. touches me that she recognized and honored her as yeah. a godly woman. She's one of those women of old who trusted God. Mm -hmm. And I know Jesus better because I know her. I hope people can say that about you and about us as we follow him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. We know it's countercultural. I pray for those in Calvary and that each of us knows who are suffering deeply. Give grace, direct their steps, show them when perhaps there's time to separate for a while in order to save the abuser and the marriage. But make us more like you, Lord Jesus. We pray for this grace, that we would believe in you, that we would trust your authority, that we would believe that vengeance is yours and justice will come, and that that would help us honor each other, submit to one another, understand each other, and love each other, just as you have loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for your glory, Lord. Amen.